0: My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word, planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word
1: this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks Rob. Good morning everybody. Just swapping some hands. Um, So I know that this is our third week in the book of James now but I thought it might be valuable to set the context for the book again. So in chapter one verse one of the book James is named as the author and as Adam told us in week one this James is likely to be The brother of Jesus who we see in Matthew 13 and in Mark 6 and Galatians 1 and during Jesus's earthly ministry James wasn't that convinced that his brother was the Messiah but after a post-resurrection appearance he comes to believe and eventually becomes the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem and he writes this letter and the book of James is a highly practical letter to Christians in the early church rooted in deep faith and in rich theology And it emphasises the application of Christian belief or the way that we live out our faith. And it's likely, according to some teachers, that he wrote this letter because he was concerned that the faith that the church claimed to have wasn't evident from the way that they were living. So he wanted to ask, and he wanted them to ask themselves, if their faith was genuine. And this letter is filled with examples of characteristics that we should expect to see demonstrated in our lives as disciples of Jesus who have genuine, enduring faith in him, also with practical wisdom on how to then partner with the Holy Spirit as we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And lots of scholars and teachers think that this book is James's commentary or his interpretation and his thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus preaches in Matthew And Adam referred a lot in his talk to some of Jesus' sayings, which came from the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount ends in Matthew 7 with the following wisdom, which will be familiar to many of you. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Essentially, in that passage, Jesus is saying, don't just hear the words, but do them. Build your whole life on them. And that's the summary message that James opens his letter with, too. So in this first chapter of the letter, as we've looked at for the last couple of weeks with Adam and then with David, James lays out this kind of bird's eye view of the topics that he then digs deeper into throughout the rest of the book. He reminds his readers to be joyful and steadfast in trials. He builds on the argument that if we have faith in God, that faith will change our actions. In other words, if you have faith, show it by the way that you speak and by the way that you act towards others and by the way that you live like Jesus rather than like the rest of the world. James teaches us that faith does something. It changes us, and our changed lives should reflect who God is and what his kingdom is like. And these chapters that Robin read to us from chapter one today are the end of the introduction to the book. They outline the direction that the rest of the book goes in with one particular message. If we have genuine faith, This should be evident in the way that we not only hear and believe God's word, but in the way that we listen and obey. In other words, our faith is made evident not just in our hearing, but in our doing. So today we're going to be thinking about obedience to God as we not only hear his word, but do it. And as a result, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So obedience. Can I be obedient to someone if I haven't heard them say anything? It's tricky. How do kids know if they need, that they need to brush their teeth if their parents have never told them? And how does Adam know that he needs to include a gospel reading in every communion service if the bishop never tells him? As we know God more and more, it becomes more and more natural to act according to what we know he would say, without waiting for direct instruction. I've watched Beth and Gary parent for two years now, and I know how they would want to correct or praise Reuben for a particular behaviour because I've heard the words that they've used. The fundamental to what we know about God is that he speaks. He created the universe by his words and now he brings new spiritual life to his people by his words. So he is speaking. We need to listen. And like I've said already, more than simply hearing his word, this passage teaches us that we must accept it and obey it. So let's start with verses 19 and 20. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Verse 19 offers good advice, but it is so much more than a public service announcement. James is writing to help Christians wholeheartedly live out their faith. And the words that we speak... And the way that we respond to words spoken to us greatly affects the way that we live. Maybe we get defensive before we hear someone explain how we hurt them, or we rush to make sure our opinion gets heard, or we get frustrated easily. But over and over again, scripture talks about how the way that we speak matters. For example, James's words in verses nineteen to twenty-one are really similar to a lot of the wisdom literature from the Old Testament. Proverbs thirteen three says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Ecclesiastes seven nine says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Would anyone describe themselves as having a bit of a temper? It's easy to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry, especially in trials like the ones that we experience today and like the ones that we know the church was experiencing when James was writing to them. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. And James doesn't say never get angry. Jesus gets angry, as the story of the tables in the temple tells us in Matthew 21. Jesus demonstrates a righteous anger at the way that people are dishonouring God because he loves the Father. And sometimes we feel that too. A righteous anger at the way that someone is treating others or dishonouring God. But in our brokenness, the anger we feel is often unrighteous because we have imperfect judgment. Our motives are not always good. And we react poorly. And that anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Our anger and the way we communicate should demonstrate love for others and love for God. And we'll come back to those two points later on. So these three instructions in verses 19 to 20, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, are rooted in one underlying issue, how we respond to God's word. In verse 21, James writes, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What is that implanted word, with the power to save our souls that James refers to? It's the gospel of Jesus. The implanted word, the word of God. It's in us, we've heard it. But how does it grow in us and bear fruit in and through us? Get rid of all moral filth and evil is a command. It requires action. Think about your shoes for a minute after a day out. You've been walking around, maybe it was muddy, maybe you stepped in something. You've got the dirt and the grime of the day on the soles of your feet. So when you get home, what do you do? You take off your shoes and you put your slippers on. Noticing that you've got dirty feet is not enough to stop your whole house from getting dirty. You have to do something about it. When I was at university, a friend of mine referred to someone that we both knew as a wheelbarrow Christian would go if pushed. They'd heard the gospel, but they weren't participating in their own transformation and they weren't part of the life of the body of Christ. I don't want to be a wheelbarrow. And when we do or act according to God's word, rather than simply hearing it, when we're obedient to it, we allow God to transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. James had quite a lot more to say about this idea, that our faith should lead to obedient action So let's keep going. We arrive at James's key message of this passage but also of the entire book in verses 22 to 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In summary, it's not simply enough to hear the word of God. That doesn't automatically make us disciples who look like Jesus. In order to be transformed, we must hear and then do. We must be obedient to the word of God. And James uses the analogy of a mirror to explain this to the church of the time and to us today. Because I do a lot of youth work, I have an illustration. So I'm going to call Abby up to the front for a moment. And I have warned her about this, so don't be alarmed. I'll be, all I'm going to do is ask you to look in a mirror, which is over here. There you go. Great. Would you close your eyes for a second? And now open your eyes and look in the mirror. And what do you want to do when you see your reflection in the mirror with the bear sticker on your face? I'd quite like to take it off my face. Sure. Yeah. And why would you like to take it off your face? It looks—it it wasn't the look I was going for this mm-hmm. morning when I woke up. I don't feel it's like enhancing my appearance. Sure. it's a bit tickly. Okay. And I can see it out the corner of my eye all the time. It's quite <laughs> irritating. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to take it off and go and sit back down. Thank you. When we see something in the mirror that doesn't fit with what we know we look like, or with our image of who we want to be or how we see ourselves, we do something about it. And between April, 2022 and April, 2023, I lost just under four stone. I'm very happy to chat to you about that later on, but I know that weight is a tricky subject, so I won't linger here for too long today. And I tried on and off to exercise and to eat better for a while, but nothing had really stuck. And then in April, 2022, my best friend got married and I was her maid of honor. And then I was looking back through the wedding photos, and I just didn't like any of them. And looking at those photos, like looking at a mirror, I thought, if this is going to change, I need to make the change. I'm the only one who can do it. If I'm gonna honor God with my body and take care of what he's given to me, something needs to be different. And something about that mindset made the difference. And I took it seriously and I worked hard. And weight is so complicated, and that won't be anyone, everyone's story, but hear the analogy. When we see something which shouldn't be there or which needs to change when we look in the mirror, the goal is to do something about it. Noticing it isn't enough to make a difference. If we want to be transformed, we have to take action. And just like a mirror shows us the condition of our face, the Bible shows us the condition of our heart. When we read about the way that we were designed to live, the way we're called to treat others, the relationship that we're able to have with God, it's easy to see where we fall short. Where we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry, for example. It's easier to see all of the ways that we fall short of the glory of God when we read about Jesus, who was without sin. It's like seeing a reflection of who we're supposed to be but scarred and tarnished by the world around us and by the decisions that we've made. But I want to say this to you as well. When you recognise Jesus as your Saviour, as the Son of God who came down into the world, was crucified, died, rose again, and has ascended to the right hand of the Father, you are saved. Immediately you're washed clean, saved by the blood of Jesus. Your identity is transformed in that moment. But... We still live in a world covered in dirt, and that dirt gets onto us too. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John 13, 1-17, he says, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. As Christians, we have been washed clean by grace, but we still need to be washed from the dirt of the day. We have to offer our dirty feet to God through repentance and obedience to his word, to continually be transformed into people, into the people we've been created to be. The Bible reflects us back to ourselves, dirt and all. So in the analogy that James uses, the mirror is the Bible. And the fact that we do something about what we see when we look in the mirror is referring to the way that we should respond in obedience to the word of God when he reveals something to us. Maybe in reading his word, he reveals to you his good plans for sexual purity. Maybe in a Sunday talk, God reminds you that getting drunk doesn't honor him. Maybe it's that getting angry or being prideful doesn't glorify him. Maybe it's that we're called to forgive and to love one another. Maybe it's something else. When we hear God's word and recognize the transformation that we're still waiting for in our own lives, we can't just leave it there. We're called to action. Called to be obedient. And that obedience will lead to freedom. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In other words, obedience to God's word brings freedom because his law is perfect. And I know sometimes it seems kind of laughable that a law could bring freedom, mostly. We think of laws as things which restrict us or contain us, like the restrictions in the COVID pandemic, or speed limits on roads, for example. Sometimes they prevent us from going at the speed which we think we should be able to go. But in that example, obeying the speed limit allows us to get where we're going in a way which is safe for us and safe for the people around us, and which has been carefully planned based on the design of the road that we're on. And driving at the speed limit doesn't mean that you'll never get into an accident. Following God's law doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen. But that takes us back to James 1. Living according to the way that God calls us to live, through trials of many kind, will bring us to maturity in Christ. Freedom is found when we are living and working in the environment that we were designed to flourish in. It's found when we're living in obedience to God's word, according to our nature as people who were made in the likeness of Christ. It's like if you're carving something out of wood. When you go with the grain, according to the nature of the wood, rather than against it, true beauty emerges. Just like the mirror of the word of God shows us the ways in which we fall short, it also shows us the potential we have to live in Christ and be the people we were designed to be, bringing his kingdom It shows us the transformation and the freedom which await us as we live in obedience. I've talked a lot about obedience today and later on as we continue to work our way through the book of James we'll think more in depth about faith and works and how love and action go hand in hand. We are called to be obedient and it's a vital part of our faith but not because we have to work to earn our salvation or prove our worth. Salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. But out of that love that God has for us, that he demonstrated through Jesus, and out of the love that we have for him, as we understand his love and the nature of God as good and faithful, we are drawn into obedience as a response. And my imperfect, but hopefully helpful example of what I've been talking about is this. Everybody look at Thomas. He's back there. Thomas is a good father, and he wants the best for his kids. I know that he loves them more than he could possibly describe. So let's imagine that Thomas and Zoe, after church, leave the building and head towards Claremont Road. Zoe is old enough to know that she needs to look left and right before she crosses the street, but she's not tall enough to see very far in either direction because of all the cars parked along the road. She can't see a car coming, and so in her mind, it's safe to cross. But Thomas is taller and he can see further, over the cars parked along the road, and he knows that there is fast oncoming traffic. So he tells Zoe to stop. Stopping doesn't make sense to her. She can't see that there's a car coming, but she trusts him, so she listens. She acts in obedience and she stops. And then she sees the car whiz by, and she understands why he asked her to stop. And she learns the importance of looking around the parked cars in the future. So what are some of the transformed characteristics that demonstrate a life lived in obedience to God's word? James takes, like I said, the rest of the book to lay out some examples and dig a little bit deeper. But he leaves us here in chapter one with two particular examples, which I think summarise them all. 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We use our words thoughtfully, we care for the needy, and we live for God rather than for the world. In other words, Christians with true faith who are living lives which are being transformed by obedience to God's word, by the power of the Spirit, will love people and will love God. While we're thinking about loving others, I want to jump back to the mirror analogy quickly. If Abby had seen her reflection, but done nothing about the mark on her face, she probably would have forgotten about it as long as she didn't catch her reflection anywhere. And it's easy to forget about and to disregard the things that we can't see, whether that's in our own lives or in the world around us. The news of war and of evil and of poverty, they become so easy to forget when we get comfortable or when we can't see them. If Abby had forgotten about the mark or if she didn't know it was there, she would be relying on somebody else to tell her. For someone else to notice that something wasn't quite right and to point out the necessary change. They could even help her make the change by taking the sticker off her face, but she would still need to be willing. We need to spend time in the word of God, looking at our reflection and allowing God to transform us. And we need the community of faith the church, to point out our blind spots and our sin so that we can invite God in and respond in obedience to him. And the world needs us to serve as that reflection to him too, as examples of God's word to those who haven't heard him, who can't see the truth, so that they can see where transformation is necessary and learn that living in obedience to God's word as we were designed to live is the way to true freedom. And if we want to be obedient to the word, if we're serious about living out this faith, we'll reflect that in the way that we live and in how we love the vulnerable and in not getting distracted and tempted by what the world has to offer. These are the examples that James gives to us briefly here in chapter one of the characteristics you'd expect to find in Christians with true faith, who are loving others and loving God. And through the rest of the book, he outlines how we do those things in a little bit more detail. God speaks. On any given day, there are so many different ways that I can hear the word of God. I can read my physical Bible or read it on my phone. I can listen to someone else read it or listen to online sermons or podcasts or Bible apps. But the key to living out our faith is not just to hear the word of God, but to humbly accept it and allow it to transform us as we are obedient to it. To hear the word and not to do it is to not really hear it at all. God's word is intended to change us, not to entertain us. As James says in verse 22, if we think we can follow God apart from obedience, we are deceiving ourselves. As Jesus says in John 14, 15, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. A real walk with God shows itself in simple, practical ways. True faith helps the needy and keeps itself clean from the world's corruption by loving people and loving God. And these things are hard to live out, arguably impossible, but what makes it work is our union with the Spirit of God. The obedience that we try to accomplish in our own strength can't work, but when we surrender ourselves to God, he works the life of Jesus in us, steadily and day by day. James' whole letter is filled with examples of these characteristics. Chapter 1 is just the introduction, and here he outlines the way that God uses trials and tribulations to grow perseverance in us, to develop enduring faith in him as he is faithful to us. He speaks about how sin leads to death and reminds us that temptation is never from God, our father who gives good and perfect gifts. And in these last few verses of the introductory chapter that we've looked at today, James gives us his summary teaching. Simply hearing God's word doesn't lead to true faith. The mark of true faith is a transformed life. And how are we transformed? By living in obedience to God's word, not just hearing it, but doing it. And When we're obedient to the word of God, by the power of the spirit, we are transformed. And this transformation is the mark of true enduring faith, which brings glory to God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the gift that it is to us. Thank you for your wisdom and for the way that we can rely on you as we live in obedience to transform us into the people that we were designed to be. So Father, by the power of your Spirit, would you continue to work in our lives today and as we go into the rest of our weeks? Would you give us the courage to respond in obedience to your perfect word? Amen.